I'm full of optimism. Einstein's theory of relativity. And we're still seeing it quite well through that haze. About the future innovations and growing strength in the air. This is Finding Your Frequency with your hosts, Jeff Spinard and Ryan Treasure. It's time to speak up, share your voice, and hear from the thought leaders. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another fantastic episode of Finding Your Frequency. I'm your host today, Ryan Treasure. And you know, we're always trying to bring you guys some interesting content, whether it's, you know, talking about things that matter, you know, screen time for your children, how to how to help, uh, you know, manage some of those things on, uh, on our last episode. Uh, we talked about a little bit of psychology, uh, which was kind of fun. I got to go take this test uh, online uh, and find out whether I'm a worrier or not. So you guys got to experience that live on our last show. And I scored a 48 out of 100. So not really a worrier. I talked to the doctor and he said, everything's great. Uh, no, no problems with anxiety here for Ryan. But one thing he did mention, and maybe something for all of you guys to think about a little bit is uh, he mentioned to me, like, you know, I have a Maserati engine inside of me that's constantly going 10,000 RPMs. And so sometimes you got to park the uh, car in the garage, turn it off and let it cool off and rest a little bit. So some, some, uh, uh, some advice for some of you people out there that are workaholics. So let's take a break sometimes, rest, go hang out with the family. But, you know, today we have an interesting guest here in the studio right here in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, you know, I, I, uh, I'm a native Arizonan. Uh, I am a, a, a Navy veteran. I'm an American. I'm a patriot. I'm a libertarian. Uh, all of those things all wrapped up into one human being. And so I always love to have conversations about the history of the United States and, you know, uh, different things that have happened and uh, maybe stories that people may not know about. So what a great way to kind of uh, segue into our guest for today. We have New York Times bestselling author Chris DeRose here in the studio with us. Uh, he has been writing books uh, and also been a legislator. Uh, he's bestselling author of The Star-Spangled Scandal, The President's War, Congressman Lincoln, and founding rivals. Uh, he's a formal, former senator, uh, excuse me, former senior litigation counsel to the Attorney General here in Arizona, and a professor of constitutional law and a clerk of the Supreme Court for Maricopa County. So thank you so much for joining us today, Chris. Thank you for having me. <laughs> I, I see how I packed that uh, studio audience all in here. Just, That's quite just a welcome. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate you making the journey over here from uh, from your neck of the woods over to Tempe and uh, joining us here at the Voice America studios. How fitting, right? Voice America, as we're going to have a conversation with you about some of the books and things that you've been uh, writing in, in relation to uh, American history and some of the things that have happened. And, you know, I know that you have some other books that you've written. The, the most recent one is The Star Spangled Sp uh, Scandal, correct? That's it. Um, so the first one that you wrote, was it the uh, Founding Rivals book? Was that your first? That was my first book. So, you know, I want to get into the books because um, all of them have great titles and I'm sure really cool stories behind them. But for the audience, let's take just a step back for a second and, you know, think about, you know, as you're as you're a litigator, as you're you know going through the the process of law and and having a job in several instances in in that capacity, where where was the time where you were like, you know what, 
I, I need to write some books. Like, you know, where was it when you found your frequency and decided to, you know, kind of step out from what you were currently doing and decided to step on, step out into the unknown, you know, of being an author and kind of going out and doing something that you haven't historically done to find your frequency? Yeah, you know, so I've never looked at my career as an either or thing that I had to be a lawyer or a prosecutor or a writer and that I had to pick. Um, so I've always seen this as something additional you can do. You know, I've never looked at my career as a zero-sum game. Ever since I was a little boy, I loved books. I loved reading. I loved telling stories. I loved hearing stories. I loved American history. And when I was uh, 29, I learned about this incredible story that became my first book about these two future presidents, James Madison and James Monroe, and their friendship and rivalry and how that got us our Bill of Rights. So this congressional race between these two future presidents determined whether America was going to stay together with the Bill of Rights or fall apart without it. <laughs> and I, I looked for books on the story, couldn't find any, so I decided to write it myself. I was able to get an agent, was able to sell it, and uh, was able to write three more books after that. So I feel very fortunate. Um, and so I've done these things in between lawyering, while I was lawyering, while I was teaching law school, while I was working at the attorney general's office. And so, uh, you know, I think you always find time in your life for the things you're really passionate about. Yeah, no, that's 100%. You know, we, we've done uh, a bunch of shows and, you know, one of the common threads, especially uh, with like the millennial generation, um, which is a lot different from, you know, maybe like my parents and your parents, right? Like my, my, my mom is still doing the same thing today that she did when she was 15 years old. That's unthinkable right? for right. She, most people in our you know, generation. She just keeps, I'm like, when are you going to retire? And she's like, I don't know what else I would do, you know, which is funny. So she's never going to retire until she's I've got lots of ideas if she wants to call me. <laughs> but, you know, the the thing like when you, you know, you you're, you you have your your law uh, uh, stuff that you do, your your day to day, but then you do these books on the side. So that's like the books are your side hustle. Well, sometimes and sometimes they're my primary thing. So okay. there have been times in my life where I was a full time writer, writing full time and promoting the books full time and. You know, right now I'm working full time on a new book that I have due on September 10th. So, um, <laughs> oh, what a due date! Yeah, right now I'm, <laughs> I'm focused on that and on promoting Star Spangled Scandal. That's so awesome. So, what what kind of drove your passion? I mean, obviously you're a lawyer, so you have a passion for law. But when you go backwards in history and you think about you know the founding of the United States and you know Bill of Rights and these things that are you know the the groundwork for what we uh, you know interpret every day today, um, what made you decide that that was what you were passionate about besides law? But you know constitutional components and wanting to go back and look at the history. Yeah, it's what matters. It's right. It's what what governs our society and it's what's uh, created responsible for America. Our Bill of Rights, our Constitution, this form of government that's been emulated all over the world. Where did it all come from? What are the human origins of this? And right. how close did it come to actually falling apart at the beginning? And the answer is very close. Very I mean, it's close. Very remarkable that uh, America was able to, I mean, if you look at like the EU right now, the EU experiment's falling apart, right? You've got the United Kingdom is leaving. Yeah. Other countries are considering leaving the European Union. They're falling apart. Why did we stay together when we were just as, as different and diverse as those countries are today? That's how right. we were in 1789. Yeah, and you actually bring up something in, in current events, because I know um, as of recently, the president of the United States has just kind of come out and in, in his thoughts around like immigration and illegal immigration. And I, you know, one of the things that he's telling some of the illegal immigrants is like, look, if your country is all messed up, 
don't come to our country and, and try to, you know, escape it, like stay in your country and do something about it, you know? And so that's one of the things when the president said that I couldn't help but think about like how our country was formed. And, you know, here we are, you know, hundreds of years after the oppressive regime of the queen and the king of England and, you know, all of that. And there was a point in time where Americans were just like, all right, no, we're, we're totally done with this. You know, here we're, we're separating ourselves from you. Your tyrannical government is no more, you know, um, and, and they fought back against that. And we had the war and here we are as independent country. And I feel like so many other undeveloped countries haven't ever taken the opportunity to like fight back. You know, so I think the whole reason that that experiment in 1776 was so successful is because America's been a magnet for people from all over the world. So mm. I'm two generations removed from uh, dirt farmers in the south of Italy. Okay. Um, they were living under a fascist government. They came to the United States. They worked as part of the American war effort during World War II. They worked in the factories and helped us win World War II. And their their descendants have been productive members of the community. Um, and so I think that this in 1776 doesn't work unless we become a magnet for people all over the world. And That's what's remarkable point. about it is that we weren't a magnet for the people who were already rich and powerful in their own countries. We were a magnet for the world's discard pile. And we took all of that and we became the most prosperous by far, the most yeah. prosperous, freest, um, safest country in the history of the world. And we did it with the world's rejects. We did it with the, the, <laughs> the people that yeah. the rest of the world didn't want. And so if we're gonna continue to be successful, I think we need to continue to follow that model, to be a beacon for, for people who are willing to come here and work hard. You know, there's one story I wanna share with you. I'm writing about World War II right now. Mm. And in World War II, there was a Japanese spy who came in to draw up all the plans for the Pearl Harbor attack. So he gets there, he's working out of the Japanese consulate, he's coming up with a plan to kill everyone and everything he sees. Mm -hmm. And he says, this is gonna be the easiest espionage operation ever because there's 180,000 Japanese who live in Hawaii that I can tap and turn to for advice and help. It didn't take him long to figure out he couldn't trust a single one of them because regardless <laughs> of how long they'd been in America, their loyalties were to America. They weren't to Japan. It wasn't to where they were from or where their parents or grandparents were from. There's something special about this country that turned these people into Americans. Um, and, and that's one of the fantastic things about this country. It's an idea. It's something you can become American. You can't move to France and become French, or you can't move to the UK <laughs> and become uh, a UK citizen, or become British. You can't become English, yeah. Yeah, I mean, but you can move to America and become American because it's it's a series of ideas, and that's one of those ideas, but it's a, it's just incredible to read about because he thought it was gonna be the easiest infiltration operation ever, <laughs> and he they told him to get lost. They loved America. Yeah, that's a story I always remember, too. My father uh, used to tell me, too, about um, the, you know the Japanese emperor who's like, oh, we'll never invade the American homeland because it'll be a gun behind every plate of grass uh, you know and so that just goes to a testament about how how the American people band together to become Americans and you know by any means I wasn't trying to turn this into an immigration conversation at all I was just you know always pulling from current events you know and you hear people talking about you know those those different kind of things and what's happening in in, in the society today and I think a lot of the stuff that happened you know when uh, when our country was founded a lot of those ideas there's um, a lot of change too that's happened in our country from a you know a societal perspective and the way people kind of seed things and all that too that have changed and so you know I think some of that takes uh, you know a change in some of our you know our current uh, regulations and some of those things to reflect you know how we are now 
rather than how we were in the experiment when we started back in the 1775. <laughs> right. So um, one of your other books was Congressman Lincoln. And so um, so President Lincoln is probably for me, probably the my favorite president. Right. Dude was from Illinois. Um, his stature so much reminds me of my father. My dad was from that area as well. And, uh, you know, we just came off of uh, about a month ago, June Juneteenth. Right. Which was uh, a very significant day for President Lincoln. And, um, you know, something that I always think about. So tell us a little bit about that book. And we're going to work through the other ones. But, um, you know, I, I got to talk about President Lincoln, you know, uh, and, and a lot of people would hail him as the greatest American president. Um, and I know that the title of that book is Congressman Lincoln, Lincoln the uh, making of the greatest president. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. And I'm I'm, I'm right there with you. Not just the greatest <laughs> American president. But I think the greatest American, I think the greatest person this country has ever produced. You have someone who's born. I mean, people, every politician, they exaggerate their hard scrabble beginnings. This guy really lived it. You yeah. know, grew up on a dirt floor and is self-taught and becomes an amazing lawyer and a brilliant leader and navigates this country through its worst military, moral, and political yeah, crisis. The worst ever. The worst ever by, <laughs> by orders of magnitude. Um, and so I wanted to write about his time as a member of Congress. Everyone's obsessed with him as president in his Civil War years, but you can't understand why he comes into the presidency the way he does and what he does as president without understanding his time as a member of Congress in the 1840s. And so Lincoln only had two jobs in the federal government. He was president and he was a member of Congress. So when he <laughs> arrives in 1861 to, to become president of the United States, all he knows about the federal government is what he learned while he was a member of the House of Representatives. And no one had really taken the look that was necessary to say what was it about this time that influenced his decisions later on. Wow. Yeah, and and I don't really know that storied history of, of him, you know, the most of the things that you get taught when you're in school is mostly about, you know, him and the presidency. So that's an interesting take. So I'll definitely have to pick up that book and, and read it. And then, um, you know, you move on to your other book, which was called The President's War. Um, and this kind of changes a little bit, maybe your writing style from one to, to this next book. I can just tell by the cover of the book that you changed, um, you know, a little bit of your style uh, because this one seems like it could be a little darker. You know, so <laughs> it's about, yeah, you can't write about the Civil War without, unfortunately, um, taking a yeah. little bit of a darker turn. This I was fascinated by this unique phenomenon in American history because up to this point that you'd never had five former presidents alive at once. And in America, you had five former presidents alive for the first time during our Civil War. And so I wanted to know what these presidents did during the Civil War, what they thought about the Civil War, how they interacted with Lincoln. I wanted to know what they thought about how they, how they evaluated themselves, their ability to stop the war, yeah. what they did maybe to cause the war. And so I wrote about these five lesser known presidents who were all still alive when the shots were fired on Fort Sumter. And I wanted to see the, the Civil War from the eyes of the men who both tried to stop it and caused it. So, you know, I, I have to ask a question only because I feel you've done a ton of research, obviously, for your books. And, uh, you know, something that I hear all the time is um, that all of the presidents, minus like three or four of them, at some way, shape or form, were related. 
Um, is there is there any is there uh, any legs to that story? You know, it's interesting when you look at like ge- genealogies. Mm-hmm. Remember yeah. that big news story about Barack Obama and Dick Cheney having a common ancestor? Correct. And so you get back far enough. I mean, we forget we've got over 300 million people in America today, but but <laughs> some way they got cross reference. You go back 150 years, and um, you know, and you go back to the people who were well, you know the political class uh, back in the early 19th century in the United States. So it wouldn't be surprising to have people who are cousins or distantly related cousins. And yeah. certainly had the father and son combination of the Adamses. Um, and so, yeah, you have a lot of interesting family trees, especially among these earlier presidents when it was a much smaller country. Yeah, when I go uh, to Ancestry.com, there's um, some stuff that's really public when it comes to like the presidents and some of the things you can kind of look down the tree, which is really interesting to look at. Uh, my family's really big into genealogy and funny story about genealogy. I'm sitting here at my desk in the studio. Uh, I'm prepping for a radio show and uh, not my radio show. I'm assisting one of our other hosts getting prepped for a show. She's booking a guest. This guy, his name is Julian out of uh, England. And so I'm like, oh, this is an interesting guy. I didn't ha- didn't have his last name on the first press thing that I read. And I'm like, wow, this guy's on, into sound and sound therapy. He's a public speaker. I'm like, wow, what an interesting guy. And so then two days later, I get the PDF with like his bio and all the information. And his name is Julian Treasure. So he's got the same last name as me. And I go, wow, this is interesting. Treasure. Not a common name. Yeah, no, not a common name. So I'm like, uh, and he's in England. And that's where my family's from, according to our, our, our tree. And I'm like, oh, let's go check this out. So in, I don't know, three or four days, I shot him an email. I said, hey, I think we might be related just for the simple fact that we have the same last name. And you live in Somerset, England. That's where my family's from right there in Wales. Um, and so he sends me a PDF of his genealogy from ancestry. And I'm like, wow, I go on genealogy. I go back. I had to go back to 1782 or 1779, something like that to find where his tree intersected with my tree. Amazing. But it was amazing. And that their family's last name is still intact after all of those years. Um, and then I, I, he actually told me the story, which I didn't know, um, that our family got its last name from the Dutch and Duke, uh, Duke and Duchess of Sussex, who gave our family the name because we were farmers. And then the family trusted us so much, they wanted us to help manage their money. And so they named us this and gave us a coat of arms and took us from like, you know, your standard peasant in England to, you know, we were lords now. <laughs> Amazing. So interesting story about genealogy. And so how I don't get anything gets- that good out of mine. I did 23 and me and they send me emails telling me that I'm equally likely to like vanilla and chocolate. Thanks a lot for that. That, that sounds about mind, like everybody. Mind-blowing. <laughs> Well, now you have a new book, right, that you just released, The Star-Spangled Scandal. That's it. Um, you know, which is uh, all about uh, Barton Key, son of Francis Scott and U.S. attorney for Washington. Tell us about that because pretty scandalous on that one. It's an incredible story. You've got a congressman who finds out that his wife is having an affair <laughs> with Barton Key, the son of Francis Scott Key, American royalty, and the U.S. attorney for Washington, and guns him down right in front of the White House. Oh, jeez. On a Sunday afternoon. On Sunday, no matter. On Sunday. And you have the first great American scandal. We'd recognize this today because the press is always feeding us new things to be outraged over or scandalized by or interested in. This is where it all starts with this case, this killing, and this sensational trial that followed. So what was the trial like? Was it just like absolutely insane? 
Yes. Um, <laughs> it was a 20-day trial back in an era where your average homicide case would only take an afternoon. You had 20 days. You had the original Dream Team. Uh, so you had Edwin Stanton, who's going to go on to be Lincoln's Secretary of War, as one of the leaders of the defense. And, of course, Sickles <laughs> has just gunned down the chief federal prosecutor in broad daylight, so he's going to need a very good legal defense. I'm sure there was lots of witnesses. Lots of witnesses, a lot of people who came in and testified who, who saw the shooting or heard the shooting. And um, it seems like a pretty open and shut case. And Sickles' team uh, makes several arguments in his defense. <laughs> Number one, and most interesting, is they argue that a man who kills someone who's having an affair with his wife is actually no criminal, that he was justified, even though there's no defense under the law for killing someone, even if they're having an affair with your wife. That's the argument they made to the jury. They said, if, but jurors, if you're not willing to go along with that, you should consider, hey, maybe he was acting in self-defense. I don't know. He <laughs> put on a trench coat on an unseasonably warm February day and walked with three guns to go find the guy he had just found out was having an affair with his wife. And so it was, it was pretty premeditated. Oh, it was pretty, pretty <laughs> premeditated. And um, third, if you don't like any of those explanations, uh, you should find him guilty by reason of, uh, not guilty by reason of temporary insanity that he was insane just long enough to commit the killing. He's lucid before, he's lucid afterward, he's having conversations with people. Um, <laughs> the lawyer was trying really hard. They were trying hard, <laughs> and uh, the jury was sympathetic to him. They really thought that Key had gotten what he deserved. Wow, so I, obviously we're not gonna give away the secret sauce of the book, because you gotta go buy it. Star-Spangled so Scandal, you gotta, you gotta some, go buy it, uh, and it's really resolve. gotta be seen to be believed, everything in the book, but it's our first modern scandal with the telegraph sending the news all over the wires all over the country at once it's just, you know we and we grow up i grew up watching these scandals on tv other baby jessica and the well or the oj trial <laughs> yeah and this is where it all starts we had our own here too um you know with jody the, arias with jody. so um the the lady who wrote the book on jody arias uh jane velez mitchell does a show here on her influencers channel and what a what a circus that was. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so once the Sickles trial was over, the press goes looking around because now they have all these empty column inches where they used to have coverage of the Sickles trial. What's the next scandal? And so we've been they've been trying to keep that up to the present day. And now there's just more column inches to fill and more. Uh, now there's you know, they need clicks on websites. Yeah, and there's almost like uh, um, an a void of content where no matter how much you create, you can always create more because who knows where it ends up after it gets released. It's like, uh, it's, it's the craziest thing after, you know, the internet launched, how much written video audible content has been created since the internet. It's so fascinating from a futurist kind of perspective to think about if there's this much knowledge on the internet today in 2019, and you know you're able to compound you know the growth rate of technology from its inception of the internet and like you know public wise from like 1996 or seven right and how that's gone over the last 20 years how much more information is there going to be online in 20 years from now i don't even want to think about it gosh most and, and, and how much <laughs> of it is going to be like edifying and how much of it is just going to be scandalous or? yeah i wonder i want half of it's probably going to be from tmz that's right. You know, <laughs> things just to make you angry or the outrage of the day. So, Chris, as you're, you know, kind of, 
you know, sitting back in your recliner on, you know, Friday afternoon, Friday evening, watching a little television or whatever it is, relaxing and, you know, game planning for your weekend or your next month or two. What, you know, I know you have the other book that you're going to be releasing on uh, the 10th of September, which will be this year in 2019. Well, I'll be submitting that to my publisher. I'm sure they'll have some revisions and yeah. we'll go back. You know, the process is... Um can be longer, can be short, but there's usually at least a few rounds of edits between you and your editor. Yeah. And uh, until you do final sign off. So it actually could be quite a time consuming so process. So what, what's next after that? Like, I know you're working on this book now, but what, <laughs> what what does the future look like for Chris after you get done with that book? Are you going to, you know, get, get back into doing some law stuff or do some more books? Where where, where do you go from here? I'm going to keep telling stories as long as I think there are good stories to tell. And I think that I'm the person to tell them. Um, And, you know, it's, it's sort of a being open to all possibilities. The best advice, you know, when you're in college, you very seldom take advantage of interesting speakers who come to campus. Um, I, I like to say that youth is wasted on the young, right? There's all kinds of cool <laughs> opportunities in college that you, you don't take, and that's certainly one of them. But I'm, there was one I did go see, and the best advice I think I've ever heard it was be ready for course corrections. Just be open to possibilities of what's out there. It's okay to plan. It's okay to have very detailed plans, but be open to yeah. you know new possibilities. And so it may be that I'm doing something in a year that I had didn't imagine. Yeah, like basketball, right? Sometimes you probably have to, not that. Sometimes you have to rock the crossover and go the other direction. I think you have to be good at that. Yeah, but yes, yes, yes like yes. basketball. I'm just using an analogy. It won't be Trust basketball. me, you and you and I aren't playing basketball. <laughs> no. I used to be able to play basketball, but not not anymore. I'm lucky if I can granny shot horse with my kid. Yeah, that's one opportunity I can rule out safely. <laughs> no basketball. Of course, in at this future. point with the Suns, I don't know. Maybe <laughs> you could probably be their starting point guard. Who knows? <laughs> they still don't have one. <laughs> Well, I appreciate you coming to the studio today. Um, let the folks know. I mean, you have your website, right? Uh, uh, yeah, KristaRoseBooks.com. Yep. Uh, and then I know your books are all over the places where books can be sold. But where where are those places? Amazon, Barnes & Noble, BN.com. Okay. Uh, anywhere books are sold. Does uh, Barnes & Noble still have brick and mortar locations, don't they? They have lots of them. That's awesome. And very grateful for them for carrying all my books. Yeah, we love books at our house. My daughter uh, is five and uh, we're doing the summer reading challenge that the school offered. And so they give you a grid and it's 25 books. And it says, oh, well, you know, like bingo, like, you know, get a row or a column or, uh, or make an X for an extra prize. And I looked at my daughter when I got it and I said, if you can't read all 25 of these books by the time the summer's over, we have a really big problem. You're doing something and right. So, Remember when we were kids, it was Pizza Hut. Yeah. Pizza Hut would give you, you'd bring in like a book report and Pizza <laughs> right. Hut would give you free pizza. Yeah, and so now we're on this track of reading all these books. And what I thought was really cool is um, they had integrated some some really cool, easy to understand, like early, you know, how the, you know, executive branch works and some of those components in the books. And so we got to go to the library, you know, and we go to the library and I'm going, I probably haven't been to the library since I was in high school. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, where's the index cards? Right. And the late, she's like, oh, it's just, it's a computer. You just search. And I'm like, oh, this is great. You know, so here I am, you know, thinking it's going to be this daunting task of find, finding index cards to get, you know, all 25 of these books, though, so we could we could get them for yeah, the for the reading People who haven't challenge. had to search for a book that way will never understand. It's no, and I, I was like, we were in and out in like a half hour, super easy to find all the books. And, you know, here we are about three weeks from uh, school starting and she has four of the 25 books left to read. So we're, we're excited about Good that. Good for so. her. Another word of advice, you know, uh, there is definitely something important, uh, you know, for you parents that are listening about 
tangibly holding pages that smell like paper, um, you know, versus reading on a tablet. Don't get me wrong. I read on a tablet too, um, from time to time. Uh, but if it's a book I really care about and I'm going to, you know, get into it, then I got to buy the, the paper version because something about paper ink, right? Just that smell. It sucks you into the book. Yeah, I have all my books in my living room, my house, and I just love having them, love yeah. to look at them. I'm guilty of being an e-reader because <laughs> uh, I like to take lots of books on vacation with me. And yeah, I and well, well, in that case, it makes sense because uh, I just went on vacation, right? And I had I have three different books that I'm reading. So all three of the books are on my nightstand. Well, I don't really want to carry all three books around in my bag. So I downloaded the digital versions and picked up where I left off while I was gone. So, uh, but yeah, so that, I think that's what digital e-readers are for. So you don't carry all your books. Yeah. And so I can read in the dark. (laughs) My wife hates it when I do that. My wife does too, but, um, you know, beats having a nightlight or something, which would really keep her awake. Yeah, um, I I love the Kindle, um, just the standard Kindle pages, right? Just it, it just black and white, no color, looks great. Yeah, the paper white's a great design. Yeah. So, uh, Chris, where can people get a hold of you if they if they want to find out more about what you're doing? Um, I would imagine you're probably open and available for uh, speaking engagements, talking about uh, history and you know those types of things as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I just got back from speaking at the anniversary of Gettysburg. I was speaking in Bryant Park, New York, last nice. week. So I've had uh, you know, a great book tour for this book, and I've loved traveling the country and talking to people about history. So I'm at ChrisDeRoseBooks.com. It's easy to contact me. You'll get me directly on that website. Chris, I got to uh, introduce you to one thing on the Voice America Talk Radio Network that I think you'll get a kick out of. There is a show on the Variety Channel called Civil War Talk Radio. Um, and so this guy, um, he's a professor. Um, his name is Gerald Propopkowitz. Um, he is widely popular known uh, for Civil War. Go check out the radio show. Um, as, as a history buff as you are, I think you will get so much of a kick out of the show. And for me, what I think is so interesting about this show is this guy's been doing a radio show talking about the Civil War for longer than the Civil War actually lasted. Oh, yeah. Now, there's no shortage of things to fight over or discuss. <laughs> it's really a, a, a topic that'll take up as much of your life as you want it to. So there you go, listeners. You guys are uh, interested in the history of America uh, and a lot of those things that kind of paved the way for who we and what we are as a country today. Uh, go to... Uh, ChrisDeRoseBooks.com. Check out those books. Listen to Voice America. And Chris, thank you, man, for joining us uh, right here in the studio today. A pleasure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, you're tuned in to Finding Your Frequency right here on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Big shout out to everybody listening. Thank you so much. Uh, And however you're listening, whether it's on your favorite podcatcher, whether it's uh, iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Play, or any of those kind of things, make sure you give us a nice little review. Tell your friends about Finding Your Frequency and come back and listen to some more. And of course, please give us five stars because that's way better than four that's just logical five please uh and and send information over to info at voiceamerica.com if you have any uh things that you want us to cover on the radio show things to talk about all those sorts of things and you can follow us all over social media at radio ryan one at voice america trn at jeff spinney two finding a frequency.net you're tuned into Voice America Variety Channel right here on voiceamerica.com. Stay tuned. We'll have some more fantastic Finding Your Frequency episodes coming at you soon. 